From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Part of the thrill of college athletics is that there's always new blood coming in. So while some of your favorite athletes may be seniors or on their way out, there are freshmen on deck waiting to be the new stars fans follow. With the early period of National Signing Day upon us and a major defection happening in its shadow, this week had a little bit of everything for the Gators. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to discuss the departure of Emory Jones, surprises from signing day, how Deion Sanders shook up the world of college football, the state of men's basketball entering a break, the streaking women's hoop squad, and great shooting performances in the PAT. Then, men's basketball grad transfer Brandon McKissick shares his story including how the social unrest in his hometown of Ferguson shaped him as a teen and why he ultimately left the state of Missouri for the first time in his life to become a Gator. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Let's go ahead and get our roundtable started with some breaking news, at least at the moment that we're recording this. Uh, It has just come out that Emory Jones is entering the transfer portal. Uh, This is not necessarily a huge surprise. I think it was pretty clear to most people that Anthony Richardson would be the Gators quarterback probably of the future. Uh, However, Emory is still planning to play in the Gasparilla Bowl next week. Anthony Richardson is expected to miss that game due to an injury. Uh, so kind of a, a weird way to end the tenure. But uh, Scott, Chris, let's get started by getting your your take on this, uh, this pretty significant news uh, about Florida's quarterbacks. Well, I think that's where, if you read the tea leaves, as we like to say, Adam, I think that's where most people expected this to go. Obviously, this story... It uh, came out uh, broken by uh, Yahoo Sports. And, you know, I, I think Emory, you know, you look just at what Florida has and the, where it is as a program, a coaching change, a quarterback who maybe necessarily doesn't fit exactly what Billy Napier is looking for, a quarter in, in Emory, and then a quarterback who plays beside, behind him who really is the fan favorite and a lot a lot of fans believe is the a key piece to the winning puzzle that Florida hopes to put together under Napier and Anthony Richardson. So, uh, you know, it, it, these guys, if they don't feel like they are the guy at wherever they are and they want to be that guy, there's going to be other options. And, you know, Emory Jones, after waiting all that time, you know, um, he got his chance at Florida. And he had a, a roller coaster season, had some good moments. I mean, I mean, it just shows you where we are. He he had the record for most total yards by a Florida quarterback in any yeah. game. You know, in that Sanford game, I think 600 and some yards of total offense. And yet people were still kind of down on him. And, and then, of course, against Florida State um, in the regular season finale, if you remember, uh, he struggled after starting okay. And then Richardson, I thought, came in and played his most valuable, really snaps to the season. Uh, and it kind of stabilized them and, and helped them get that win. And another twist in the road, as you like to say, Adam, I mean, 
Um, not surprising at all. Maybe just surprised a little bit at the timing. But, you know, it was, if that's what he's going to do, and everybody's been assuming it for a couple of months, really, uh, you knew it was inevitable when it would come out. So it's out there, it looks like. Transfer portal, way of the world, college, college football in, uh, in, in 2021. Uh, same as college basketball. I mean, they, they, they have options now. And the options don't include having to sit out for an entire season. So it doesn't surprise me at all. When the rules did require you to sit out, uh, coach leaving was was one of the things that all, always seemed to happen. So, uh, or, or one of the one of the main reasons a, a player would go to look elsewhere. You know, it's, it's, there's really no incentive to to have to stay if you don't think you're going to play. So, or or they're going to bring somebody in over you or what have you. So, um, you know, I don't I, I don't blame him. The guy that you only get a limited window to play. You know, good luck, Emery. I, I I really respect how he's handled his whole situation here. He's never uh, uh, copped an attitude. Frankly, we've seen that before here uh, with some players when things weren't going well. It's never been like that. He's handled his uh, the quote unquote, if you want to call it a, a rivalry, more let's call it a competition with Anthony Richardson uh, with class. Uh, the, they both have actually. So um, I wish him well. I, I don't have the the vitriol toward Emory Jones that some of the uglier fans uh, have. Of course, uh, he didn't have a great season, but um, I think as the year played out, uh, it became clear that the, not only did he not have a great season, the team didn't have a great season, and maybe the uh, the talent base uh, uh, you know didn't help him out very much. Yeah, Emery, a class act all the way. Uh, anyone who has vitriol or ill will toward him uh, needs to look in the mirror because he just handled himself the right way. Didn't have a great season, but sometimes that happens. He never, yeah, never complained, never made excuses, didn't go to war with any fans. Uh, just you know, kept smiling, kept working, and uh, I think most of Gator Nation wishes him well uh, as he moves into the future. I hope most of Gator Nation wishes him well. Uh, let's turn our attention now to what we thought would be our, our main story today, which is National Signing Day, the early signing period. And uh, Scott, we knew this was not going to be a hugely eventful day for Florida. Billy Napier said so in his introductory press conference. They were going to be patient. Uh, they were not just going to go out and make a bunch of splashes just for the heck of it. They were going to get the right guys, the guys they knew they needed, and that might mean waiting till February uh, to get more of those names in the door. But there were some surprises today as well. So talk about the hall here on National Signing Day, the early version of it. I don't think anybody expected a class of 20 today, but as of this chat we're having here, there are eight. I think there'll be more, a couple more by the end of the night. But there was one splash that was not expected, a five-star, the safety, Kamari Wilson from IMG Academy. Uh, that really caught a lot of people by surprise, certainly made this day a lot better for the Gators. And, you know, you look at him as a player, uh, this guy, he's a Florida guy from Fort Pierce, went over to the IMG Academy in Bradenton, and he's rated the number two safety prospect in all the country. And for Florida to kind of come in and get him, I, I thought that was big. And one, another, I mean, a lot of little interesting tidbits in, in Napier's press conference. One, was of the eight guys they have signed as of now, you know, he only had a relationship with one guy before Thanksgiving. So, you know, he they were able to salvage something in a couple of weeks, really. Uh, he, he signed one from Louisiana, uh, the offensive lineman, Christopher Williams. That was the only player who flipped from Louisiana uh, that he had a previous relationship. The other seven guys, uh, Napier and his staff, had to, uh, had to work quickly, use the old 
the old saying, it's kind of like speed dating. We've heard that one before in recruiting, right? Especially in a coaching transition. Uh, but I think everything considered, and especially with getting Wilson and a cornerback, Devin Moore, out of Naples High, he was committed to Notre Dame this morning. They flipped him. Uh, so those two additions, I think, make this a really good day for Florida. And uh, I think it went, according to script, uh, the rest of the way uh, in terms of who the names on the board and the names that were out there that, that people expected Florida to land. Uh, but certainly he didn't venture off his his script. He wasn't taking wild shots on some guys just to fill, fill signing spots. I think they're really going to now – Get, do a deep dive on what's left in the transfer portal and what's out there in the remaining uh, incoming freshman class. And they'll have a, a lot more players, you know, probably 15 or so more come February. But today, went according to script with two surprise, good surprises. I think the last time when we spoke uh, after Billy Napier's introductory uh, press conference, we talked about, you know, the, the phrase winning the press conference. Um, I think I think he won a press conference the day the Gators signed eight people on National Signing Day. First of all, I really like the measured way he 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 speaks, and you listen to him also. And he was he gave you some some insight into how how organized this uh, this whole situation is going to be from you know personnel to to evaluating uh, the transfer portal, to evaluating high school, to evaluating junior college players and what have you. And is, is, is that any different than what's going on in a lot of places? No, but, uh, and it probably was going on here. Um, it just sounds like to me that he, he's going to do it better than it's been done here before. And um, I was particularly uh, struck by a, a, a passage or something he said when he spoke about uh, how he learned how to, how to balance family and this, and this kind of work learning from somebody, he goes, a guy in Alabama, he said, and when you, <laughs> and when you think of, uh, uh, that guy in Alabama, uh, you don't think about balance. You know, you think about, uh, you know, uh, some, someone who, who just, you just work, 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 work. And maybe that's not the case. You know, man, none of us really know Nick Saban. I don't think, I mean, I certainly don't, uh, I don't know how well that people in Alabama actually know him, but, um, you know he knows how to do the job, and he's and Billy Napier said he took a lot of that, put our own spin on it, and this is our first taste of it. And then when you when you come in on your first day, and how many five stars Scott right out of high school has did Dan Mullen get? I think the number is zero, isn't it? He got him out of the transfer portal. Yeah, I think Jervon Dexter. Jervon Dexter. Okay. Uh, he's the one that sticks out in my mind, but yeah, there's there's very few. So to get one of those on on his first class under these reduced timetable. I mean, it's, it's an impressive feat. Yeah. And he, and he got him out of IMG and the university of Florida hasn't had great success going in down into IMG. Um, yeah. I, I, maybe he can, he can go over to the basketball building and tell those guys how to get guys out of IMG because uh, the, I think the last one they got was, was uh, Dar- was uh, Isaiah Stokes. Um, anyway, so I, I, I digress anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but to, to come in on that day and to, and you're talking about a, a top flight safety who was a five-star prospect who picked Florida over, I think it was Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. If, if I'm not mistaken, those were the three places that he was going to go. And those are the you know three of the top five uh, recruiting factories in the country. And this guy came in and got a guy. So if he can do that in two weeks, my guess is uh, given more time, he's going to, he's going to do it. He's going to do it a lot more down the line. So 
Um, again, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, you know, and, and we really haven't to say we're scratching the surface doesn't really uh, do justice to that to that phrase. This is this is just the beginning, and this guy seems uh, a like he knows what he's doing, and he likes where he's going to be doing it. And we don't know what coaches are going to be doing with them because there's there's still uh, offices to be filled um, by guys that may be working uh, studying for playoff games right now, for bigger bowl games, maybe even in the National Football League right now. So. Uh, it's, it's going to be a fascinating next few weeks as this all plays out. And who knows, maybe we'll get some more guys, uh, some of the, whoever the, whoever the best players that don't sign early are, I would imagine uh, Billy Napier is going to be in the conversation and having conversations with those guys. Obviously, if fans are interested in this, they, they might have already gone to FloridaGators.com to see the whole list and the officials when they come in. Um, but Scott, what are some of the biggest needs that are there to fill Going into the the full signing day in February, what are some positions where Florida is going to really look to to make some hay? I think you're looking at the secondary, which you know the couple of the guys we mentioned already, and, and Wilson and Moore. Uh, that's certainly helped there. Uh, I would expect there to be more coming uh, later down the road in February. Um, offensive line, I mean, that's the one that you you're looking to fill every season. Obviously, with the Gators, they're losing some guys up front, uh, some veteran starters there, uh, Gina Lance, Stuart Reese. Uh, so, you know, there's some names that they're going to have to replace. And the more bodies, the merrier at the offensive line position. Um, and the receiving core, I mean, you know, you've got some young guys like uh, Jamarcus Weston and Xavier Henderson, uh, but they lost Jacob Copeland in the transfer portal. So, they're going to have to restock there. And, you know, they'll probably want to add another run back because they're losing Pearson Davis, even though they've got a couple of young guys on the roster who we've heard a lot about in, in uh, Bowman and um, Lingard uh, and Naquan Wright. You know, there's he, there's three there, but you probably want another one there too. So uh, I think every spot's open, to be honest. And there's no other glaring hole, I don't think, on the team than linebacker. Uh, I mean, that's a, a big weakness of this of this roster right now. Uh, you know, we know Ventrell Miller, he missed the season. Uh, Mahmoud Diabate has entered the transfer portal. And Jeremiah Moon, after 14 years here, he's leaving. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's just a position that they need. Uh, they got Shamar James uh, out of Mobile, Alabama. Uh, that was a guy they had committed. He was number nine in the, the signing class to, uh, on National Signing Day for him. So, that's one of uh, many, I would think, that they'll they'll be pursuing come between now and February. But it was a big pickup because, like I said earlier, there's no more position of need probably on that defense with with guys like Moon and Miller and Diabate uh, no longer in the mix. So uh, that's what you got to do. I mean, he's rebuilding this roster in his own way uh, with his own stamp. It's going to look different. It's going to have a different skill set. It may be what we saw under Dan Mullen, uh, but there is no doubt that Billy Napier has a plan. He just he, he went a little note. I mean, he's talking about his personnel department, you know, beefing up that unit. He's got certain staff members already allotted to high school talent. He's got certain staff looking at college talent, and he's got other people looking at underclassmen. So, I mean, you can tell that he has a well-thought-out plan. And he said, we love doing this. He loves recruiting. Um, I'm not sure that a few of the coaches before him loved recruiting. 
and yep. and he he loves it and it and it and it shows and you can see in his measured words how passionate he is about it and uh, uh, obviously for for Gator fans this has to be a very exciting time uh, while it's just nine guys uh, in the fold just the whole manner and how this all played out and seeing the, the, the guy up there clearly in charge and clearly enjoying what he's doing. It's, it's something maybe not to be totally excited about today in terms of the, the hall, but potential halls down the line for sure. One thing I should mention before we, we leave this topic completely, uh, how about what Deion Sanders did today at, at Jackson state flipping the number one player in the country who of all places was committed to his alma mater, Florida state and flipped him to Jackson State. I mean, that's simultaneously, that's like, I mean, the the blow on one side and just the, it's hard to even make sense of it. The best player in the country going, not even going to an FBS program and Deion Sanders doing that to his alma mater. As far as covering recruiting or following recruiting, that's probably as big of any story that I've ever seen, uh, you know, in the last 25 years or so that this has become its own, Kind of national holiday. Um, <laughs> Dion, you know, he, he Dion being Dion, I mean, he teased people last night saying something big was happening. And, boy, he delivered. And uh, to me, he's lived one of the more amazing at athletes' lives in history. I mean, when you look at Dion Sanders and what he's been able to do. And, and he had an 11-1 season at Jackson State. I didn't see that coming. I, you know, I don't know. He was, co- he was coach of the year. Yeah, I, I don't know where this is going <laughs> for his program, you figure if he's doing that at Jackson State and he continues another year or so, I mean, he's going to get bigger offers and he goes elsewhere. Sure. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how it works out with Travis Hunter. But it just it, it creates so many questions just about, you know, where the sport is, where it's heading. I'm going to be, very, I'm, I'm going to be following the, the details of, yeah. of what exactly deal he got uh, to do that. Uh, because it's such an unprecedented move, uh, you know, and it, it, how's that going to change the future in ways that, you know, recruiting is done? I mean, are there going to be some kids getting deals where they're making more than assistant coaches? I mean, it's not out of the question at all. I, I don't think so. Especially, it's just at, especially at Jackson State, they'll be making yeah. more than more coaches. Probably. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just going to be an interesting dynamic that the new world that we live in, that's, that's part of it. Uh, and the headline or the, the case that people will kind of use as the, the study, the case study is Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders and how they shocked everybody on a December the 15th, 2021. On a side note, I was impressed with the statement the kid put out um, where he referenced, you know, Jerry Rice, Doug Williams, Walter Payton all played at historically black colleges and universities or whatever. And uh, <laughs> the reason those guys went there, they, they weren't the top recruits in the, in the country. <laughs> they went there right. and became great players. Uh, uh, it's, uh, that's what, that's, what's so crazy about this, that, um, I mean, he, he was gonna, he was gonna really, uh, uh, tran- tra- transform whatever she was doing right now. And lo and behold, it comes prime coach prime. Good for him. <laughs> you know, who uh, wasn't impressed was the Florida state fans when he threw no, it yeah, no, no, yeah, it's been a, it's been a bad day for FSU Twitter. I think it's, uh, it's safe to say, um, Anyway, moving on from from football, it's all, it's always football time, no matter what the, what time of year it is. But it's also basketball time of year. Um, Chris, we're in a, a little bit of a, uh, of a of a gap here. There's a few breaks in the season. One of them is during this time for finals. 
Um, and, and the Gators find themselves sort of in, in, in an interesting place. I mean, obviously, this super hot start going 6-0 and and then going into this break, dropping three of their last four most recently to Maryland. Uh, how do you assess sort of where Florida is at this moment in time uh, with a little bit of, a, you know, with a, a pause to sort of reflect on where they're going next? They're not in a good place, obviously, having having lost uh, three out of the last four games. And uh, um, they're not they're not playing. They're not defending like they were. I don't think early, early on in the season. Um, and, uh, you know, the question, where are they, where, where, where they need to be is back to, to what they were doing uh, early on in the season. Um, when they, when, you know, when they, when they, when they won those six games and when, when they were, when they were guarding, when they were, when they were the uh, aggressors, uh, they were the hunters. Um, that's, it, it just, it's, I, you just haven't seen that the last few games. And I, I know they were, they were pleased with how they played after that North Florida game, but um, you know, North Florida is not a opponent who you're going to gauge something like that from uh, Maryland was Maryland was a team that came in on a, on, I believe a three game losing streak, maybe even a four game losing streak, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they weren't playing well, they weren't shooting well, and uh, they weren't guarding particularly well. And they did all that stuff. Uh, Florida, Florida went in the game, not shooting well at all, especially from the three point line. And damn if they didn't shoot 41% from three and make uh, 11 threes, only the second time this season they had double-digit threes. But they still lost. Um, they, they got 15 rebounds. They still lost. That's because they gave up almost 50% from the floor and let, uh, let Maryland, which was below 30% uh, as a team shooting uh, from, a, from the three-point line. I believe they made eight out of 13, which is, I think, 61.5%, something like that. And that's and that's why they lost the game. It came down to that. So they got a they got some stuff to figure out, and they got time to figure it out. They do play Saturday uh, down in Sunrise against USF. They haven't played USF since two thousand two. This is also wow. the last time. This yeah, this is the last time um, Florida will be playing in the Orange Bowl Classic. Uh, that that's going away next year. They've been in that thing annually, I believe, since two thousand six, and playing in it almost every year. I think all but three years since uh, nineteen ninety seven, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're trading out for, uh, for another, uh, annual tournament. They'll be playing in, in Charlotte against other Jordan teams, uh, for the next few years. So, um, a day, a day, a game against USF is up next. It's kind of like a get well game. Uh, USF isn't very good. They lost to one of the worst teams in the country, uh, earlier this week, uh, South Carolina state, but, uh, any team that loses Texas Southern can't go into any game thinking that, uh, that, there, that there's an automatic win on the rise. And I remember asking Billy Donovan one time, is this a losable game? He goes, they're all losable, Christopher. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and they are. <laughs> they are. Uh, so uh, you, uh, Florida against South Florida, uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday from sunrise. We'd be remiss while we're talking basketball if we didn't give a quick shout-out to the women's team. Uh, who They've won three games where they knocked off FSU. Uh, over right. the last week, and they hadn't beaten the Seminoles in, I think, about five years. Um, yeah, they've kind of been flying under the radar. Obviously, they're under an interim coach, and they haven't gotten a lot of attention, but they've, you know, they've actually, they've won some games. They're playing some solid defense, and uh, obviously doing a lot better than I think a lot of people expected that they would at this point. Yeah, give Kelly Ray Finley credit for holding that stuff together the, the way she has. They Early on in the season, I mean, if you look at the schedule, oh, God, they lost to Towson, and you look at that. They, Towson had a girl, I think, score 37 points in that game. So they had a, play, they had a player they had to deal with they didn't deal with her very, very well. Um, that's okay. Uh, but, I mean, they, they beat TCU on the road mm-hmm. in the Big 12 Challenge. 
they were home against Dayton and, and beat Dayton. And obviously the Florida state thing, I, I, I looked up and saw that, uh, uh, score. I think at one point they were up by they were up by like twenty five, and you know I wasn't sure if it, if it was accurate. If you think about what Florida State has done to Florida in women's basketball the last few years, that's a that, that, that's a really stunning turnaround. Yeah. Um, Manu Diallo someone I wrote about earlier, she was the one who was stuck in Brazil all last year with COVID. I mean, she's become such a uh, she's 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 the glue person for this team. I mean, she. She shoots the ball really well. She rebounds really well. She defends. She's everywhere. She went. And she's just this quiet kind of force, and it's really got them got them playing playing well. I mean, she was really good against Florida State. And of course, uh, you, you know what you're going to get from from Kiki Smith every night. You kind of know what you're going to get from Lavender Briggs, and then it's uh, piecemeal people here and there. Alberte Rimdahl is the is the freshman from Denmark. You know, she showed up in that game with a couple three pointers. Zippy Broughton is, was the was the she was a big time recruit out of Alabama who ended up going to Rutgers and mm-hmm. and Florida recruited her heavily uh, during that time. She's now a, a, a serious factor. She's like Jordan Merritt is, and they play a lot of players and they're figuring some things out. And when you think about where they were uh, five six months ago, and to going into Christmas break uh, having having beaten Florida State, uh, it's a pretty good story for uh, for Kelly Ray and those girls and just got to see what kind of momentum and how if they can keep level-headed because um floor, you know sec schedule is coming and obviously that's a different album while we're talking basketball let's stay on that theme for our pat uh this week we saw steph curry break the nba's all-time record for most made threes and uh, not to diminish it i I didn't know it was that significant of a record that we needed to have like a 10 minute ceremony in the middle of the game for it, but it was treated with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Um, it is crazy how, how much faster he got to the mark than Ray Allen did. Uh, but I'm curious, thinking on your, your vast experience covering shooting performances, whether it's basketball, Scott, you've got hockey in your background as well. Uh, I want to know the most and impressive. Soccer. Let's, let's not forget soccer, right? Very true. Um, yeah. Most impressive shooting performances that you guys have seen firsthand that you've covered or you've been in the building for? You know, I, I haven't covered a huge amount of basketball in my career, so I don't have a huge library to pull from, guys. But I do, there's, this is a name that Gator fans will remember uh, because of, he was very hyped. War number 23, had a bald head. Wasn't Michael Jordan, though. A guy named Ladarius Halton. Oh, yeah. One of the top prospects in the nation back early in Billy D's tenure, I think maybe his second or third season, started down at New Smyrna Beach and, uh, you know, signed with Florida. You were at that game? I was at a playoff game. I was not at his 76-point game. Right. Uh, But I was at a playoff game, and having heard of him and knowing that he was coming to Florida, I'm like, well, I'm interested to see this guy play. And I still remember being in this packed gymnasium over at New Smyrna Beach High, state playoffs. Uh, and the guy goes off. I mean, he had 44 points that night. And it just hitting crazy shots. I mean, shooting, he could shoot it long, but he was also a guy, obviously, who could drive. And, uh, and finish, was, yeah. Yes, finish. I mean, he was, he was a great prospect at that point. And it was just fun to watch. I mean, thinking, here's a guy 18 years old. I mean, it was like a – it was like going to one of these small town gymnasiums and it's just packed to the roof. And, wow. And people are, you know, this guy was a, a celebrity in, in little New Smyrna Beach in Volusia County. I don't know if you know where that is, Adam, but it's over in uh, 
not not too far south of Daytona Beach. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, Volusia, I know Daytona. Yeah. So anyway, he, I'm watching him, and you know he's going off, and I remember talking to him after the game and getting my quotes and running back and following my story. It was, I think, of all the basketball games I've ever covered, that one probably sticks out as many as much as any, just because of I knew who he was at the time, and I'd heard a lot about him, but I'd never seen him play. And then to see it in person, I'm like, wow, this guy's going to be special. And then, of course, he gets to Florida and had it some, he had some knee injuries early. And I just think he kind of – he was a guy who had never experienced failure. And I think Billy D, you know, he was building his program. Uh, so between the injuries and probably just not being – fitting in at the time, he, he kind of faded. And, you know, it was unfortunate because he – if you were in Florida – in the late 1990s, you follow college basketball or high school basketball. This guy was like at the top of the, the list. Well, there were people that thought that he may have been the uh, the best recruit that they got in a class that had Mike Miller, that wow. had Udonis Haslam, that had Teddy Dupay, and had Ladarius Holden. Yeah, all, four, all four of those guys started uh, early on. Uh, uh, and to your point about, about his – I mean, he – this guy was a joke in terms of his athleticism and everything. But what eventually happened to Ladarius Halton, this was an 18-year-old kid who had knees of a 40-year-old man. Hmm. And he suffered a microfracture, and they found this serious, serious damage, um, it, just, this, the, just bone on bone. And the deterioration of his, of his ability to play was, was so profound uh, and, and happened so fast. It's really, really sad given, given what he was. Cause I remember, man, I remember that kid. And uh, that's funny. It's funny. You said, because I was going to, I, I'm a guy who saw Pete Maravich play and score and, and score a bunch of points when he was with the Utah, Utah jazz and, and God knows how much cocaine he was he had doing back in those days. Um, but, uh, but, I did go – I got in a car with Pat Dooley. We drove to Cape Coral the night that Teddy Dupay was supposed to break the state scoring record, which was held uh, by Chris Corciani, who played at NC State and won a bunch of state championships at uh, Miami Senior High. Um, and, <laughs> you know, this guy was McDonald's All-American at 5'10 and averaged 43 points a game. And that day, he made, he made 11 threes. He only scored 37, Okay. But he made, but he made, but he made eleven threes, I think, in the game. And the one at the end of the half, he was dribbling, 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 and looking up at the fans and telling them to cheer, 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 cheer. And they're telling, da, 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 da. then, then took like three steps across the half court, and Jack hit nothing but the bottom of the net and ran out of the gym into the locker room. And <laughs> you know, and that that was just him. Just like I don't know if you know that this. I told this story recently. Um, they were in a playoff game, I want to say, against Cooper City. Is that in Fort Lauderdale? Do you know? I want to say it is. Uh, and it, it, I think it's down it in is. the South Florida. It's yeah. down South in South Florida. Florida. Yeah. And the local paper had written about Teddy Dupay for the, as to kind of like a setup kind of story. And it had a picture of him that they took from his hometown paper over in Fort Myers of him in a – with in a t-shirt or something with showing his tattoo of his initials. Right. And his, uh, it was Edward something Dupay or whatever. And he got to the game and everybody, all the whole, all the students were dressed like Teddy Dupay and with the white kid that from that picture, white, tit, white shirt, they all had fake tattoo of his initials on there. And they just serenaded him with Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. He scored 70. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> it, the, the taunts didn't bother him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, that's a game I wish I had been to. I wasn't at that game, but I sure saw uh, Teddy Dupay uh, make some buckets uh, in high school, and that was, that was fun. And he is the all-time leading scorer in the state of, state of Florida history still. Still, wow. Still, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I learned something today about guys that I don't necessarily know a lot about, so thank you guys for providing some uh, some basketball education for me uh, on this week's podcast. In the meantime, I know you'll be back uh, educating Gator fans about what's going on with Gator football. There's a bowl game coming up, if you can believe that, the Gasparro Bowl, which is sold out, by the way. Uh, and then Chris will be following basketball in that Orange Bowl Classic as they get back going and try and get that uh, feel-good game under their belts against USF. So follow these guys on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris, and check out FloridaGators.com for all of their content. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Transferring into a program can be tough, but it's certainly easier when the majority of the roster around you arrive the same way. Following a four-year career at UMKC, that's University of Missouri at Kansas City, Brandon McKissick decided to move on and move out of his home state for the first time to join Mike White and team transfer. No small matter given where his story started and the adversity he battled along the way. I grew up in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, which is in St. Louis, but a specific area. Uh, probably familiar with it, uh, the mm-hmm. name. And uh, growing up, you know, my parents just made sure that, you know, I had everything that I needed to, you know, you know, be who I am today. So, yeah, I mean, uh, growing up kind of in a bad area, you know, dealing with that while also kind of going to a school I was on the other side of town, really just, you know, getting both polar opposites, uh, you know, of different different uh, environments, you know. Mm-hmm. I went to, I was the only black kid in an all-white school. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was crazy for me growing up. But uh, kind of just dealing with that environment and then, you know, coming back home to my environment, you know, where it's not like that, you know. And I feel like that's what uh, as that, that chip on my shoulder. I feel like that's how, how who I am is because of I'm always going to remember where I came from. Uh, nothing was really given to me. You know, it was never really a handout uh, when it came to sports. You know, I was always the one that was not really looked at as much. The one that was kind of, uh, oh, he's OK, but he's not this person kind of just overlooked all my life growing up. So uh, that was another thing that kind of put a fire in me is, you know, I've never been given the respect that I feel like I deserve. And if I'm not, if they're not going to just give it to me, then I'm going to take it. So, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about, you know, a lot of things, you know. You mentioned Ferguson and, uh, you know, being familiar with it. And when, when I was reading about you and I saw Ferguson, that's the first thing I thought of was the mm-hmm. you know the civil unrest that took place there back in 2014 is yes. that I mean, tell tell me about what what is ferguson like cuz if all that i know and most people probably know is that depiction of it what yeah. was life like in ferguson that's what i try to tell people you know before everything happened you know ferguson was a really quiet place you know there's there's a lot of old older people that live in ferguson especially old ferguson but there is a like there was parts you know, like certain apartment complexes and areas that, you know, you couldn't really uh, go around just, you know, you know, for a walk in the park, you know, you got kind of the watcher back, you know, but when that happened, you know, it became a war zone. Honestly, you know, I remember, you know, driving home days from school and the riots of riders would be out there, you know, uh, police cars, 
you see like people just walking across being disrespectful to, you know, police officers, police officers being disrespectful to rioters. You know, it was it was a crazy like time, you know, me being a sophomore in high school and like kind of going through that. It was like then they started doing the home invasions and, you know, I like we were worried that I had to, you know, I had to live with one of my classmates for a while, you know, during that time. So I'd just be safe. Mm-hmm. But um Luckily, you know, things started to die down just a little bit. And, you know, it wasn't as crazy, but it was after everything that happened, you know, it kind of died back down again. You know, there was riots every now and then that would spark up every now. But other than that, you know, it kind of got back to, you know, his quiet self. And, you know, I'm thankful for that because for, you know, when it happened in like 2014, 2015, you know, probably for like the next year and a half, you know, it was a jungle it was crazy like, you know you never knew what was going to happen uh, out there so it was like you had to you know just be kind of you know on your p's and q's it's interesting if the, the timeline of that right that happened as you said when you were a sophomore in high school that's a pretty you know transformative time in in someone's life so i'm, I'm yeah. curious what impact that had on you i mean for a number of angles just you know, being from the the part about where you were the only black kid at an all white school to being in the middle of this national news story that yeah. really, in a lot of ways, I mean, now everybody talks about social justice because of George Floyd and some really high profile cases. But you know, seven years ago, that didn't happen quite as frequently to where it was on the national news and was yeah. the focus of so many. So I'm, I'm just I'm curious what impact that had on you. It had a huge impact on me, uh, really, because I went to all white school in my life. You know, when I went to a Catholic school, all white school, and, you know, there was during that time, there were people that were making jokes, you know, and making statements about the situations. And, you know, they hurt, you know, but you can't you can't retaliate. You know, you can't stoop to those levels. So it impacted me a lot, you know, for good and for worse. You know, I had to deal with a bunch of, you know, adversity and and stuff like that and hear some hurtful things from people I didn't really expect it from. But at the end of the day, it taught me patience. And it, you know, it, it helped me learn some lessons that I needed to learn because you can't you can't act out of emotion all the time. You know, you have to you, you have to, you know, take the higher road sometimes. And I feel like during that those you know, that year and a half, span, you know, I, I took the higher road a lot and, you know, it, it helped me become a better man today. In terms of your, your background as an athlete, I feel like a lot of that probably comes from your parents um, can you tell me about their backgrounds in, in sports and how that influenced yours? Uh, it's funny because their backgrounds in sports really had no influence on what I ended up being. Because my huh. mother, she was a softball player. like That was her sport. And my dad was a football player and a wrestler. So growing up, I did play football. And I played football up to my freshman year of high school. And... I didn't play base. I mean, I played baseball growing up, but that was like maybe like two, three years. You know, I played a lot of sports. I was very active, but basketball was the first sport that I picked up when I was three. I picked up a ball and started trying to dribble it, you know, and I couldn't let it go. You know, they always told me that I always had a basketball with me growing up since I was age of three. So uh, it really didn't hit until my, my sophomore year. My coach was like, hey, you need to really start focusing on basketball because, you know, you can you could do something special. You could do something that no one else here has done. You know, I, that's what I did. You know, I just kind of just put my head down and just started working. Uh, with my, I was working out with my mentor, my second father, uh, and my high school coach, who was not, like another father figure to me. You know, come out of high school, I wasn't a highly regarded recruit. I was a three-star, but I didn't have many offers. 
And I also had to go through a huge shoulder surgery. Hmm. I had to get my uh, labrum repaired fully and I was out for four months. So it was a really hard time for me, you know, getting, going to my first year of college after I committed because I didn't do any contact or anything like that. You mentioned always having a ball in your hand, even from a young age. Have you been able to, to identify why you took to basketball so much? With all the other sports you competed in, it sounds like a lot of things you were really good at. Why was basketball the one that, that prevailed? I think it was the one that prevailed because it was an escape for me. Doing what I dealt with, you know, I could always go in the gym and I feel like I'd just be away from all that. You know, from my from where I'm from, my background, the outside distractions and, you know, and, and everything like that, you know, it was basketball took me away from all that and really gave me an opportunity to not fall to what a lot of people in my city fall to. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of people in my city that were great athletes, not just basketball players, but athletes, but they fall to the distractions and, you know, the other things that go go along in St. Louis. So, you know, I, that's why I feel like uh, basketball is the one to prevail because not only, like, do I truly love the game, but I do owe it. You know, I owe, I owe the game, you know, because I really do feel like it saved my life. Hmm. You talked about the, uh, you know, the recruiting and people maybe not giving you your due that, that, that you felt – how did you deal with that? Because, you know, I'm sure you're going through recruiting and you've got big dreams, but other people aren't necessarily seeing that in you. So right. how, how did that push you? How did you make that a positive experience despite feeling slighted? At first, it was hard. You know, uh, it was frustrating. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, uh, I, I tried to commit to one of the schools that offered me and it didn't go. It, it didn't work out. And that frustrated me, you know, so. When I got the opportunity to, to commit to a school, I, I devoted myself to just work and just make the best of it, you know, and just keep grinding because at the end, I trusted God. You know, I, I knew he had a plan for me. You know, if it wasn't now, then it was coming sooner or later. And that's how I feel like we even with you know, with high school, uh, my team wasn't the best. You know, we didn't have the best athletes. You never won state, but like we made it to state twice with a team that wasn't supposed to make it to, to state at all. You know, it's just like it's, it's God's will. That's how I felt about it. So, you know, it it, it kind of it was kind of funny because I I stayed four years to the school that you know through a coaching change when I could have left, and then I get a COVID year an opportunity to play at the school like this. So you know, I feel like with everything that went on, my recruiting process was for a reason. Uh, so yeah, so UMKC, a school that a lot of people probably in, in Florida haven't even heard of, but tell right. us tell us about your time there, that program, and and you know how that how you evolved over your your four years playing there. Uh, so my first two years with my first coach, uh, we didn't uh, win a lot of games. I mean, I'm being just, just going to be flat out honest. We didn't win much. Uh, it was hard, you know, because I, I didn't I didn't lose a lot, you know, growing up. Even though I, I didn't have the best team, I won a lot of games. And you know, I won I won a lot of AAU. I wasn't used to losing like that. So my first two years was, was frustrating with me because I didn't like losing. I, I hate losing. And when we got our new coach, it was a different type of adversity for me because it was a new coach, you know, who was trying to find players to you know, play over me. It was, you know, the constant battle of like, am I going to give in or am I just going to keep working? And I feel like, Another drive to work was built into me through those four years at UMKC because regardless of if we were winning, if we were losing, I was always getting in the gym and working. I knew my time was coming. 
And by the time senior year came, you know, I, I was playing my best basketball. I was shooting my I was shooting my best percentages from all around the court. And I was averaging 17 and I want and I won defensive player of the year. It's something that I always wanted to do since I won uh all, all defense my sophomore year. And so it was it was just it was progressive. I just keep, I just told myself I had to keep getting better every season. And that's what I kept doing. So when you hit the transfer portal, um, you, know, you finished your four years and you said it was a chance to, to take that, take advantage of that one extra year and do something special with it. Um, mm-hmm. UMKC is Missouri, Kansas City, not too terribly far from St. Louis, from Ferguson. Uh, Gainesville is a little bit further away. So I'm curious, how did, how did the Gators become a target for you uh, in that time after you, you expressed interest in, in moving on? Coach White. You know, a hundred percent, Coach Coach White. Uh, from the first phone call, you know, he made me feel like he wanted me in his program. You know, and you know that's what every coach is supposed to do. But like, it was the Zoom calls and just me talking to him and the rest of the staff because I talked to the staff before Coach EP and Coach King had got hired. I got a chance to talk to Coach Nichols, but you know, they felt made me feel like I was already part of the family before I even committed. And, you know, it was I felt like when the Gators called me, it was like a chance of a lifetime for me. You know, it was like a school that I've always grown up watching a school, like a school that was very familiar with me. It was like, you know, it was a dream. So I was when, you know, the coaching staff was excited about me and they wanted me here, you know, and I was excited about them. You know, I made the phone call. I was like, Mom, you know, I know I have Mizzou and SLU and stuff like that. But, you know, I feel like I want to go 12 hours away. You know, it hurt her at first because she didn't want her son to go 12 hours away after being three hours away for four years. But she understood why I wanted to come here. And, you know, to this day, she always talks to me. She's like, I'm so happy you made the decision you made. You know, and I am, too. You know, I look back on that decision. I, you know, I'm so happy I made it every time. If I go back 10 times out of 10, I'm making the same decision because, you know, this is a this is a fan base and, you know, a community that I, I really do appreciate. How have you adjusted to being so far from home? Whether it's, you know, calls to, to your parents, is it about things that, you know, like the restaurant or food that you're missing? What what have been the biggest challenges of, of the, the distance? Definitely the food, for sure. I miss St. Louis food so much. I missed it so much when I was in Kansas City and I was three hours away. But <laughs> but now it's just like I just can't wait. You know, I'm ready to uh get back to Christmas break for these three days, you know, and get back home and get my fill. A St. Louis food before I go come back, but yeah, but my family, uh, my family is really close. You know, me and my mom, my dad, us three, because like, my sister and I are really close. But you know, she was taking care of her business, so it was really just me, my mom, and dad. And you know, we went through everything, and you know, we we're, we we're really close. You know, uh, family. So I talk to them every day. I talk to my my cousins, my grandparents, uh, every other day. Uh, I'm a big family person. You know, family is something that means the most to me. If it's family first forever, you know, that's why I play so hard for this team because they're family too. What is it about the food? Like, I, you know, I don't know. It's not like St. Louis to me, right? It doesn't strike like, okay, like Chicago is like deep dish pizza, right? Like Maine is lobster. Like what, what is St. Louis food that you can't get in in Florida? We got a a St. Louis style pizza. Like it was funny you said Chicago pizza. We got a St. Louis style pizza, and then we got we got the best Chinese food in the world. Really? Like like in the world? Like I'm I'm telling you, it's better than China. <laughs> what 
what makes to... it what makes it so good? Why why can't Chinese food anywhere else top uh, St. Louis Chinese food? If if I could tell you, I would. But I don't <laughs> even know. It just it's just I like uh, in my twenty two years of life after eating chi- the same Chinese food for like seventeen years, I haven't tasted Chinese food like that since. Unless I go home and to eat it. I, I guess I, when I go to St. Louis, I'll have to try it now, and I'll, I'll get back to you on it. Yeah. Um, so you, talk, you, you talked about this team and this team being family and, and what family means to you. Um, this is a, a very new team put together with a lot of parts that you know didn't even know each other a few months ago, right? So right. what is it about this quote-unquote team transfer that's been able to build such great chemistry in such a short period of time? I think it's just our work, our work, you know, we work, we work really hard and we enjoy working hard with each other. You know, when you're going through it, like, especially like with summer, with strong man, you know, it was hard and it, it, it really, it was a toll. Like it was like, you felt like you, you was going, you going to pass out doing strong man, but knowing that your, that your guys is right there with you doing the same thing, picking you up right behind you through everything. You know, I feel like that really built a brotherhood with, between us. And, you know, we like we always have each other back. And I feel like that's where it started. And it just continued to be that way. And so, I mean, I feel like that's where it really, st- it really stems from. It's just all the work that we have put in together because we work so hard and we're so competitive and we're competitive together. That's that's the best thing about our identities, that we have a competitive togetherness. And that's what makes us us. You're known to be a very vocal leader on the floor how important do you think that is to the success of this team? Very. Uh, communication is a, a a big key in not only winning games, but winning camp championships. You got to communicate on defense. You need to communicate on offense. You know, yeah, communication is a, is a big part of, of a team. And, you know, I take pride in, you know, getting those guys, getting the guys ready before practice every day, skipping out, you know, talking to everybody, making sure they're, you know, they awake, they up, they, they got energy. We all should be happy to be there, be here. You know, there's a lot of people that would love to be in the position that we're in. You know, that's what I like to do. You know, I like to bring, you know, just like energy and just a joy to this game because this is a great opportunity for all of us, you know. And, you know, at any given moment, it can get taken away from us. So we need to enjoy it while we have it. You strike me as a guy who probably has a lot of figures that you look up to. When it comes to athletes, who do you most admire and why? One is DeMar DeRozan. He is someone that is not afraid to speak on the hard subjects, you know, of mental health and things like that, because that is a big thing in this world that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And I and I appreciate athletes like him, you know, that try to start those conversations because, you know, that's not really a normalized thing, not only for just, you know, in the, like in just in the world in general, but, you know, for athletes, you know, a lot of people just assume athletes are just these people that make money or play sports and they're okay. But, you know, athletes go through, you know, mental health issues too. And the fact that, you know, some like someone like him can stand up on his platform and, you know, and start those hard conversations. I respect, I respect that a lot. And then obviously I respect LeBron, not even just on the court, just like everything he does for like his, his family, the people around him is just like he he's always doing something for the people. And it's not always about him. You know, there's been players you probably have seen that had a talent and had like the the publicity that LeBron has and they don't do the same things that LeBron does. You know, they kind of just worry about themselves, they focus on themselves. But 
LeBron finds time to not only, you know, make time for himself, but he makes time for, for everyone else. You know, he, he impacts the world, you know, like, honestly. And that's what, and that's, that's a good, crazy thing to believe. Have you had a chance to meet either of those guys or interact with them at all? Uh, I wish, I wish, I, I wish I could. Not yet, not yet. Not least, yet, right? not yeah. yet. Actually, I'm gonna give you a third. I'm gonna give you one more because this one is really close to me, and you know it. It is true. Uh, I really look up to Brad a lot. Everything mm-hmm. he does, he like everything he's done for me. Everything he's done for you know people back home. You know he, he's one of those guys that always gonna just keep it real with you, and that's what I appreciate most about him with our relationship is that he's always kept it real with me, and he's always kept it real with everyone around me. You know, you, you don't you don't get a lot of guys like that that, you know, take the time to work with guys from their hometown and play for the AAU team. And, and it was so crazy to me, you know, just seeing that growing up, you know, and building that relationship with him. Yeah. How, how did you get hooked up with with Bradley? Beal? I was going to ask you about that because it's a, a cool Gator connection. How did that how did that get started? So it's funny. So his mom went to high school, with my my dad and his brothers hmm. and then. Growing up, uh, I watched them play high school when I was younger. And when I had a low cut, I would go to, like, basketball camps, and they would always call me uh, Baby Brad. And I was like, I never knew who it was until I would go to the games and figure out that that's what he was talking about. And I was like, no, I don't look like him. No, I'm not him. You know, like, I, he's, like, he's like really, really good. Like, I, I can't be Baby Brad, like, stuff like that. And then I started playing for St. Louis Eagles, my AAU team. Now the same AU team that he played for and ended up taking over and calling it Brad Beal Elite. And my 16th year, he came in and to our tournament and we had played a game. I remember we had we we was up the whole game. We ended up losing it. He came in, he talked to us, and he just shot to us straight. He's like, I ain't come here to watch y'all lose. Like, like come on, bro. Like y'all want to do something, do something big. Like y'all got y'all got to do something about it. You know, like he was just real about everything you know and he doesn't like using this player card like that you know he don't you don't he just is real with us about you know like like the nba is a business and you know so like we gotta treat this like a business like he's always emphasized handling like basketball as a business you know you don't need to play around with it you know it's like you get your you get your job done and you do it right way a couple final things for you i'm i'm sure you don't have a lot of free time off the court but when you do what are some things that you enjoy doing uh i have a dog so I spend a lot of time with my dog, uh, you know, outside, walking them, you know, just playing around. Or I'll sit down and I'll play the game. Um, you know, uh, big 2K, more, uh, war zone guy. But uh, I, don't, I don't do too much. I'm either in the gym or I'm at home, you know, relaxing. Mm-hmm. And my free time, I'll talk to my mom or my dad, someone in my family. Yeah, I, I like to FaceTime a lot. I like to FaceTime people from back home. So I'm on FaceTime a lot when I'm at home. Final question for you, kind of looking big picture. Tell me about your goals this year. What are your goals personally, and what are your goals for this team with the one year that that you have to be a Gator? My personal goals are the same goals as my, you know, overall goals. I just want to win. You know, I just want to bring success to the program. You know, I want to do something special with this team. And honestly, whatever, whatever individually comes with that, comes as that as a blessing you know i'll be i'll be thankful but my focus is team success i i i really haven't thought about individual you know i'm all about this team and that's what i want i just want to you know put my all into that 
Well, Brandon, thank you so much for the time. Really enjoyed getting to know you today, and uh, good luck as you, you move forward through Gator Nation. Oh, thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.